there, I'm your host, DJ Brandfall, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Uh, today, I'm joined by Christy Noblick Palmer. She is the Chief Operating Officer of Kiva Confections and the founder of the California Cannabis Manufacturers Association. How are you doing this morning, Christy? I'm great. How are you? I, I'm well. I'm well. Uh, sort of celebrating uh, West Virginia's success uh, yesterday. They're you know knocking on the door of medicinal. It just needs to be signed by uh, the governor. So, you yes. know, 26 states looking good today, huh? Looking good. We have a lot to celebrate this week. We really do. Excellent. So, um, so I want to get right into it. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and how you got started in the cannabis space. Certainly. So, um, yeah, so my partner, um, Scott and I were now, uh, partners in business and partners in life. And, um, we, uh, started off in 2010, um, starting Kiva as a business out of our home, um, in our home kitchen here in the Bay area, California. And, um, really we saw an opportunity for a better, a better cannabis edible. Um, there wasn't anything out there that was packaged professionally or labeled, um, nothing that we would want to bring home or um, I always put things through the mother-in-law filter so there were no <laughs> products out there that I would give to my mother-in-law um, and so uh, yeah we got started um, with the testing labs and um, developing formulas and a brand and a design for our company and uh, we've grown it from there so I don't have a background in food science or I'm not a baker um, anything like that uh, Scott and I actually met in photography school oh, wow. in Santa Barbara and so um, I guess we are just uh, opportunists, I would say. And so I, I read that uh, you you were actually mentored by an Ohio chocolatier at a hundred year old factory. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> that's a yeah. So we um, we wanted we started our company with the chocolate bars, and um, we got feedback. And people use their hands. Of course, you can't see, but um, they were indicating little pieces, right? They'd hold one hand in a cup, and then they use the other one and indicate. Oh, we want little pieces for your next product. Um, and so we we took that feedback and um, started looking at a chocolate covered center, right? Um, and Scott loves chocolate covered espresso beans. So we thought we'd start there. Um, and yeah, right. <laughs> who doesn't? Um, and so uh, that would allow us to, um, for the first time, really break down the dose, right? Get just a small amount of THC so that people could um, pop off the lid eat just one and go from there so um, that uh, that product is particularly difficult to make so um, we went out and we learned from who we dubbed the panning guru um, out of this really old um, chocolate uh, manufacturing facility which um, I think at that time we were in 2,500 square feet they were in like a hundred thousand square feet oh, wow. so when we got the to the facility we couldn't believe our eyes but um we spent a couple days out there actually it wasn't a couple days it was one day and um the apprentice for the guy who um was teaching us he uh, the apprentice said he laughed when we got there and he said there's just no way you are going to learn to pan in a day right but um we took studious notes and we brought the knowledge what little knowledge we had absorbed in an eight-hour period back to the bay area and started practicing and eventually um got it down to uh to an art as well so did you tell them that you know you were you were going to introduce that, that you were making a cannabis infused chocolate we did yes and what was the response did. 
Um, well, Kevin was really excited. Kevin was the panning guru, kind of a, uh, a hippie sort of guy and a little rough around the edges, great personality. Um, so he thought it was awesome. And he was particularly excited when we invited him out to our facility to, um, you know, continue to train our team and to work with us on our equipment. So, uh, it paid off for him in, in a few ways. <laughs> so, so I, I want to kind of go back a little bit. I, I love that story. That's why I kind of wanted to get to that, um, early, but, but when you started out in 2010, you know, uh, you said you don't have a background in food science, you, you're not a baker. How did you overcome some of the early challenges, not just with building the business, but also uh, with complying with regulations and, and that sort of thing out in California? Sure. So um, complying with regulations was very simple because there weren't any. Um, <laughs> so that was a, a pretty low bar to um, to cross. So, um, you know, back in 2010, cottage and home based businesses were the way to do it. Um, so, so, yeah, we we were fortunate. Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area, so Scott in a house that um that I grew up in and it was 2010 we were young um and we didn't have a lot to lose um we didn't own homes no kids no we weren't married or anything so um we didn't have very we couldn't really go much further down there was only uh, up to go um so with lots of roommates and family support um you know we put we put our family to work for us and paid them in chocolate and pizza <laughs> And uh, we got going from there. So we were some of the hurdles, some of the hurdles, I would say a lot of the hurdles that exist today absolutely did not exist back then. And um, that's part of what motivates me and motivates us. And I think um, the other the other uh, members of our association as well um, is because we all got to get started in an environment that was basically unregulated. Um, and so it encourages mom and pop, small businesses, home kitchen um, entrepreneurs who are looking for something different and have a lot of passion, but maybe not a lot of expertise or money um, to become compliant. So how did you how did you adapt? You know, what like like how, how did you adapt to to, to the sure, regulations? So yeah, well, and in California, we really still don't have regulations, which when I say that out loud, it sounds crazy because we have medical laws that were voted in or that were signed by the governor. And then now we have recreational laws that were voted in. Um, and now we have a bill that is going to bridge the gap between the two. But we still really don't have anything that's telling we still don't have that playbook. Right. We don't know. We don't have guidance on how many milligrams of THC should be in a product. Um, we don't have guidance on what kind of testing we should do and at what point in time. Um, so there's still a lot of gray area. So how have we been able to quote unquote become compliant? You know, we've created our own standards along the way. Um, and basically it's, it's, it's what you would do in the food world, right? So Lay's potato chips cannot brag about their food safety program, right? Because that's just what consumers come to expect. Um, cannabis is not that way. So we still can um, talk about and use in our sales pitch, essentially, um, that our products are safe for consumption, which is mind boggling um, when you think about it and you think about how many products just our company makes and the members of the association and throughout the state. So um, the businesses here are hungry for um, regulation in that playbook that we've been lacking for so long. 
So I want to talk to you a little bit about the edible scene. Um, in a Fast Company report, uh, you had said that the edible market is 30 to 50% parents with full-time jobs and kids. Um, yet opponents say infused edibles, infused candies uh, put children at risk. Are you confronted often by parents uh, about these sort of fears? And, and what, do you t- what do you tell them to, to alleviate those concerns? You know what? That's a great, you hit on a great question. Um, So as you know, in California, as I just explained, we do not have regulations um, for packaging and for marketing, right? So our company's approach has been to um, really scale that back and and create products that are very professional um, and communicate with the intended consumer, right? We don't need um, friendly animals and things like that to convey a message um, to the consumer about responsibility. So um, I'm I'm actually I, I use this as an argument um, for sensible regulation because the number of phone calls that we have received in our six years um, about children getting into cannabis. I can think of only one instance in six years. Wow. Um, so to me, the problem, um, I don't I think it's. Absolutely. We need to protect children from edibles. I don't think anyone can argue that we don't need to do that because um, edibles are very potent. And for all the the sensible and logical reasons, we don't want children getting into edibles. Um, But I actually don't think that the problem is with our zero to five year olds. Um, I think the problem exists more with teenagers um, and child proof packaging um, and these kind of skull and crossbones, um, very own regulations don't really speak to that crowd. Um, so when parents come to us with their concerns, um, usually the, the uh, majority of the feedback that we get are concerns around dosing from parents who are using cannabis to treat children with autism or epilepsy. So the stories that and the feedback that we hear from parents um, often bring you to tears um, because their kids are, are developing into adolescents and young adults um, in a way that they haven't been able to with traditional um, ways of treating the illnesses that they have. And with with those cases, um, do you are you recommending more of a micro dosing or is it a case by case sort of thing? And then, uh, conver- kind of on the same thing is. Um, are you seeing uh, tr- are you seeing trends towards microdosing? Yes. So, of course, I'm not a doctor, so um, I can't exactly make a recommendation, but um, what we do with our products and where edibles are going to be um, headed in the future is they will be uniform in content. So. Once somebody figures out what works for them, and we always recommend people start very small with five milligrams or less, learn their dose, learn their body, um, and understand what feels comfortable and what's working for them before um, before they scale up and um, take any more. And yes, I think the, the trend towards microdosing is um, something that we saw back when prohibition was lifted. So when you have a, um, when you're, when you're in a prohibition, there is a, um, there's a natural desire for products that are very high in potency, right? They're hard to get. So you might as well get as much bang for your buck as you can and as much value as possible. Um, but I don't know about you, but I don't 
shop that way in my normal life, right? When I buy <laughs> a bottle of wine, um, I'm not looking at alcohol content and, you know, dollars per alcohol content, right? Um, so we buy brands, we buy appellations, we buy labels, you know, whatever it is that um, that speaks and, and works for you. Um, so yes, I think the, the dose or the uh, trend towards microdosing and lower, more responsible um, cannabis consumption is it's it's alive and well out there in the industry and it's it's just going to continue to pick up even more uh, more speed. Is, is, is microdosing, is that part of the drive behind that 30 to 50% market that, that you had said uh, made up the edibles market? Yeah, I think that that um, segment of the market is looking for reliability. Um, they're parents, they're um, employed, they have, you know, they need to go to bed at 10 p.m. and wake up at 6 a.m. Um, and if you're experimenting with edibles, um, you know, there's a chance that you could uh, not be able to fulfill the responsibility. <laughs> that you have as a busy, responsible individual. So we've tried to just, um, with our company, and I think the industry is moving this way as well, just provide a reliable experience for people so that they can get done what they need to get done and they have a positive experience with cannabis. I, I, I'm a huge proponent of, of microdosing. I just want to say that it's... Uh, I actually, I've said this in a couple of interviews now, but I didn't realize that that's something that I was doing kind of on my own. It would be like, oh, I'm going to have this five milligram gummy and it's mm-hmm. going to make me feel great, you know, especially <laughs> when I have to like go out in an, in an, in an anxiety inducing situation. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I really, you know, I, I commend, you know, the, the, the manufacturers who are recognizing that there is a population that really, really doesn't want the, you know, 120 milligram bars and, and does want that five milligram. I really do commend you guys. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, and it's, it, we just are experimenting still here, really. So, um, yeah, the, the feedback seems to be really, really positive around microdose products right now. So I want to talk to you a bit about your role uh, at the California Cannabis Manufacturers Association. But before we get to that, we got to take a short break. This is the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall. This episode of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast is made possible by Name.com, a global provider of domain name, web hosting, and email services. Every successful cannabis business needs an online presence, and every successful online presence begins with a domain. From your website to your email address, a good domain is easy for your customers to remember, it looks nice on a business card or billboard, and it reflects the true identity of the project it represents. It's important to reserve your domain early on when you are starting your business, as you may find that the .com address for your preferred brand or concept has already been taken. If somebody has already purchased the ideal .com for your business, they might be willing to sell it, but if they aren't, you may have to get creative with one of the new alternate domain extensions, such as .co, .club, .shop, or even .farm. Reserve your domain name today at name.com slash gondrepreneur. If you are a domain name investor or venture capital firm interested in acquiring or advertising premium cannabis domains, go to the Gondrepreneur domain market to browse a wide variety of names, including strains.com, cannabismedia.com, mj.com, and countless others. 
discover branding opportunities for your next startup, and learn about listing your premium domain names for sale at gonjapreneur.com slash domains, sponsored by Name.com. Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Christy Noblick-Palmer, Chief Operating Officer of Kiva Confections and founder of the California Cannabis Manufacturers Association. Uh, before the break, we were talking, uh, you know, just a bit about uh, the, the products that you make and, and the, the trend of, of microdosing and confections and, and edibles. But I want to talk to you about your role at the California Cannabis Manufacturers Association. Um, why don't you tell us what the CCMA does and why it's important? We formed this group so that we could specifically target um, the regulations in or the MRSA um, regulations, our medical system that um, basically was going to force manufacturers to um, not be not not be allowed to hold a distribution license. Um, and that was uh, shocking and alarming that that was going to be allowed Um because that's just not the way that um, the industry has worked in California up to this point. So um, that was really the genesis of, of the association was to tackle that specific issue. There's been some positive um, energy around that and the, uh, things look like they are coming out in our favor. Um, of course, it's not over till it's over. Um, so we're going to continue to work on that issue. But we will also um, pivot and um, and work on on other issues that are equally as important as regulations are implemented. So when when you mention the not being able to hold a distribution license, you're referring to vertical integration. Am I correct? Correct. So under Prop 64, a vertical integration is allowed, meaning that uh, cultivators and manufacturers can distribute their products. Um, that's something that's been supported by the governor uh, as recently as this week, but not law enforcement. Um, obviously, you support the plan, um, but you know what, what's what, why why do you support this plan as opposed to the competing proposal that would require third parties to transport cannabis products? Sure. So, um, so back in, you know, 2010 and really up to about the last two years, um, the only way for a manufacturer to get its products to market was to distribute it. You couldn't call up cannabis distribution company and, um, you know, and start an, an, a relationship. And basically there were no distributors to hire. Um, and so that was the model that was established by really, um, most manufacturers that have been in existence longer than two or three years. So over the years, these manufacturers, uh, myself included and the other members of the association, have developed their own distribution networks. Um, and history has told us in the past that distribution is a very important element of the growth of any industry. Um, you know, speed to market and um, allowing for innovation and um, a clear uh, path to accessing your customer and forming those relationships really helps manufacturers um, sell their products. So um, we were having a really hard time understanding why we should not be allowed to continue to run and grow the businesses that we established and that have really been able to see um, the cannabis the cannabis industry in California grow to the level that it is today. And what what's your response to the claims by uh, members of law enforcement that, that allowing companies to distribute their own products opens the door to, quote, criminal elements? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I have to, um, I try not to get personally offended when I hear that, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, set the emotions aside. But um, I just think that there's a, there's been a little bit of um, fear mongering going around at the Capitol um, and, you know, special interest groups want to reach in and carve out a piece of the pie for themselves um, and protect a segment of the industry so that they can jump right in and um, preserve their margins for their other businesses. Um, and so by, uh, by you know, our reaction to that has been, you know, if you have a great distribution company um, and you offer a really great service, then people will want to hire you to do distribution. So I guess what we wanted to see was a level playing field. We weren't asking to keep those people out. Um, we believe in healthy competition. And if the other distribution company is better than mine, then so be it. Um, dispensaries should be allowed to, um, to, to shop at those um, distributors as well. Um, so we just feel that as manufacturers, um, we also just deserve the right to do our own distribution and offer a competitive service to the dispensary customers. All right, so um, I, I want to talk to you a bit more about uh, you know what to expect as California migrates into a recreational uh, system. But before we do that, we got to take our last break. This is the Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandable. National Cannabis Industry Association presents the fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 12th to the 14th at the Oakland Marriott City Center in Oakland, California. Register now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Meet industry leaders over three days of informative sessions and visit hundreds of vendors along the more than 80,000 square feet of sold-out expo floor. Hear from over 100 thought leaders headlined by feature keynote speaker, former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox. Join us at the epicenter of the cannabis movement sponsored by the industry's only National Trade Association, the fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 12th through the 14th. Register now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Christy Noblick-Palmer, Chief Operating Officer of Kiva Confections, founding founder of California Cannabis Manufacturers Association. Uh, before the break, we were talking a bit about vertical integration, which is just one of the things that uh, is, is going to be determined in the coming uh, months um, as California you know, gears up for, for the rollout of the adult Use uh, regime. Um, what are what are the CCA members expecting as California legalizes? Um, you know, as far as regulation goes, staffing issues, uh, expansion, and real estate. These are all things that are obviously going to be impacted. So, so what are you guys kind of expecting and preparing for uh, in, in as that happens? So, I think right now um, our minds are on the testing labs. Um, I, and I think right now in California, since we're still unregulated, we don't have laws implemented just yet. Um, there's probably a shot in the dark would be 25% of the testing that will need to be happening in, um, when we have our new laws is happening now. So, um, on the day that we're supposed to be mandating testing, um, what happens to the volume at the labs when their um, their volumes go up times four? Um, and so that 
having those um, strict testing regulations, we're excited about, right? We want to see pesticide-free cannabis. We want to see clean edibles on the shelves. Um, that's really having trustworthy and reliable products on the shelves is really what's going to uh, to allow the industry in California to flourish. Um, in order to get our clean products to the shelves, we need comprehensive testing labs. Um, and we need the ability, they need the ability to scale. So we either need more labs, we need maybe more equipment, um, you know, whatever, whatever the labs need, whatever resources they need um, and expertise that they need to bring on to um, to see and, and serve the demand that they are uh, about to encounter in 2018. That's what we're that's our next focus. How can we get the labs um, ready for 2018? So that I mean, that seems to be a uh, an issue that's coming up in uh, Massachusetts, uh, Maine. Uh, is that there's this lack of, of testing facilities. Um, is there any, I mean, is there any way to bridge this gap? Is, is there, or, or is it, you know, I mean, is there any, is there any light at the end of the tunnel for, for manufacturers and producers in this regard? Sure. I think um, sunsetting in the, um, the, the new regulations. So um, phasing in, in some fashion, testing regulations. So, right, we really can't go from zero to 60 overnight without encountering some serious um, choke points. And uh, I mean, it just could, it really could destroy and stifle the industry. So um, I think a phase in of testing regulations would really help. Um, maybe incentivizing companies to um, to test at uh, at the um, at the level that we really you know at the goal basically. So um, some types of incentives that would help to do that, or um, allowing uh, encouraging companies to bring testing on site as well. Um, so there there are some I think techniques and things that that can be done to try and tackle that. But um, yeah, maybe and maybe it's even incentivizing labs as well um, to open up their services and 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 begin to expand and bring on more people. And well, that's another issue is is staffing issues. Are, are you guys are, are California manufacturers concerned that they're you know not going to be able to find staffing and not be able to meet demand because demand's definitely going to go up and you know when, when this rolls out is is staffing a concern right now or. or um, I would say everything's a concern. Right now. <laughs> um, staffing is one of many, but certainly, yes. Um, you know, when you start thinking, we've well, heard from the guys in Colorado, um, businesses there talking about, you know, when they made their flip from rec from medical to recreational, that um, they had to be, they should have been prepared for five to seven times growth. Wow. That's what I've heard from other manufacturers there. Um, and some were only ready for double or triple. So when you think about how do you scale your current operation? to say times four, um, that, that becomes a, um, a really difficult problem to try to wrap your mind around, right? Um, to try to scale to times four when you don't have volume already coming in the door times four means, okay, you're going to have to buy some stuff, right? You're going to have to invest in some people and buy some equipment and increase the size of your facility. How do you do that is with money. How do you get money is with a loan or um, taking on some investment. So, and you know, then we have our banking issues. So how are you going to get four times the paychecks um, written or paychecks is, you know, involves the word check when, how are you going to make 
payroll when everything is in cash yeah. um, and you're going to have four times the amount of volume in cash. So there are, there's a waterfall of issues coming down um, the line for us. So um, I think ways that we can mitigate that again is phase in of the regulations because we just, what we know for sure is that we have no idea what's coming at us. Um, and so I think it's going to take a lot of patience um, from, from everybody, from the operators and from regulators and lawmakers alike. So, so finally, I, I, I want to ask you, you've, you've been so successful, um, you know, thus far and, and you, you're, you're, you're very forward thinking and I, and it's very rare that you hear any business person say we, we want regulations. That's, <laughs> that's almost crazy, right? Um, <laughs> so, so what, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs looking to get into, into the space and, um, what advice would you have them, especially coming in if they were decided to come into California? Sure. Um, advice for entrepreneurs, man, I could go on for hours with advice, but, um, if I had to just pick one, I would say, do your best to stay focused. Um, practice saying no, um, because in this industry, there is so much opportunity that um, you can get caught up doing everything, right? You can grow your own crops, you can do your own extraction, you can do your own manufacturing, distribution, you could do everything if you if you wanted, right? Um, so staying in your lane, finding an expertise, um, and and just doing what you're most passionate about and what you think, you know, listen to your, listen to your gut, listen to your heart and, um, do what you think is best. And, and, um, I think you'll be successful. Well, I mean, that's, that's really, that, that's really great advice, you know, especially doing what you love. The, 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 the cannabis industry obviously, you know, started from compassionate people who, you know, were there to help patients. And now that it's migrating into this, uh, you know, this, this legal regime of, of adult use, I think, I think that it's really important. I'm not a manufacturer myself, but I think that it's really important for uh, operators to remember where they came from and, and not get blinded by the dollars that are definitely about to, you know, start flowing in. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. If you're, if you're entering the cannabis space because of the money, you're in for a, a rude awakening. Um, because it's, you know, I think people think, think of the cannabis industry and they think that, you know, the plants, the, the, there's plants everywhere and there's just money falling from the sky. Um, but those are two um, very uh, common misconceptions and couldn't be further from the truth um, because there's, there's a lot to, there's a there's a lot of experimentation and there's no one telling you what to do. So there's a lot of trial and error and, um, you know, a lot of problem solving and, and Googling. So, um, yeah, there's, uh, that, that, that couldn't be further from the truth, at least in my experience, but maybe we're doing something wrong. I don't know. <laughs> so, so finally, can, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about the confections and, and more about the CCMA? 
Absolutely. So um, the CCMA has a website, the California Cannabis Manufacturers Association, and um, Kiva Confections has a website as well where you can learn about the Kiva products. Um, and yeah, the, um, the industry is growing, so we always um, encourage people to participate and um, get to know each other, network, join the trade organizations, um, tell, tell people your perspective, give your feedback, because as the industry grows, if you don't speak up and stand up and um, tell people you know, how new regulations are going to affect you and your livelihood and your business, um, they just won't know. So uh, trade organizations are a really, really great way to do that um, and to meet meet other people in the industry and network. So highly encourage everybody to um, to get involved in any capacity. Well, I want to thank you very much, Christy, for taking the opportunity uh, to spend some time with us. Um, I, it's it, it's really you know it's, I, I'm really I'm really happy that I got to, to to speak with somebody who's who's you know right on the cusp of this and when working with microdosing and edibles and and also working you know in a trade organization. Uh, this has been really a, a eye opening sort of interview for me. Great. Well, I'm so happy to be here. And like I said, really exciting time for the cannabis industry. And we haven't even hit the starting line here in California. That's the part that is just really exciting and and, and thrilling. So I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. You're absolutely welcome. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Sebastiano. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. Gontrepreneur.com.